Welcome back inside the booth at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors. I'm Dan here with Mitch and Clint again. It feels like deja vu from a couple of weeks ago already, I guess, from our, our last podcast, but is quickly becoming the the podcast crew here it at Walkner Condon. It does. Maybe should power we, team. Should we rename it to like the Dan, Clinton, Mitch show or something? Or would that hurt our SEO, Dan? I don't think anyone's searching Dan Corker on, on Google, <laughs> unfortunately. You did give us a little tidbit before you went on air is that uh, one of the worst things that you can possibly eat before you go on any sort of recording would be a a uh, very dusty granola bar. And you specifically mentioned Nature Valley, right? Yeah, no sponsorship here, by the way, at least not yet. Maybe maybe they're listening. You know, we'll see what happens. That's but. good because I think Nature's Valley granola bars are garbage. Total garbage. Ooh, I mean, most granola sandy. bars are, right? I don't know, man. I, I'm just give me a chewy one. It's good, you know. It's fine, but I those Nature Valley ones are total, total garbage. They're too dusty, like you said. Yeah, they just disintegrate in your mouth. So you know what else wouldn't work? Just yesterday, my wife and I had this conversation because she didn't buy perfect bars. Have you had perfect bars? No. They're like they're peanut butter based for the most part, or almond, or but they're they're this very delicious. They're refrigerated bar and they're supposed to be packed with protein and they're kind of a, a good alternative, but they're actually tasty. So the sweeteners, honey, and they're delicious, right? You can find them at Costco, Whole Foods, wherever. But Kaylee forgot to buy those. So then she had to settle with these, I think pure protein. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah. Pure protein. Yeah, I think I know which ones you're talking they're about. Super chalky. Oh, they they're taste terrible. like crab. They're probably way worse than that Nature Valley one you're talking about. And I would say that if there's anything worse than the Nature Valley <laughs> to chew on before or during a podcast, it would probably be the pure protein. You'd just be like, oh, they're just sticky disgusting. And <laughs> yeah, they're so sticky. And it's supposed to give you this chocolate feel to them, but they're gross. Oh, they're, they're horrible. horrible. Maybe I've had those. I had one at home um, yesterday, actually, before I went on a run. And it's just like a Tootsie Roll consistency. And yes. it's just the entire thing is coating the inside <laughs> of my mouth. And I'm... It's, it's almost one of those things where it's not even water soluble, so it right. doesn't dissolve at any point. You literally <laughs> have to stick your finger or something in your mouth to scrape your gums and be, be rid of, uh, of the granola bar. So yeah. Yeah. I, I almost just stopped eating granola bars because I just find myself getting hungry so quickly that I'm just like, I'm just going to eat some actual protein, you know, banana with some peanut butter on it, something like that. Just good alternative. You, you should try a perfect or a, yeah, perfect bar. They're very good. I'll reach out to them after uh, the podcast as well to, uh, Maybe inquire about a sponsorship. Who, who knows? Done. I like it. Well, right now I'm not eating any carbs, so I can't touch any sort of like protein bar at all. Wait, was it no carb, low carb, or well, slow it, carb? It's slow carb. It's the Tim Ferriss based slow carb, which uh, comes from the book Four Hour Body. Um, you know, he's the guy that wrote Four Hour Work Week, and I like some of his stuff. Uh, you know, this is one of those those sort of quote unquote diets that actually works. Um, you know, who knew when you don't eat badly and you exercise, you lose weight. Uh, this is one that works for me because I can get enough protein because that's just key for me. I'm, I'm a big meat eater. So I just, you know, I need meat, I need vegetables. Uh, you have to eschew some fruit, which, you know, so I'm doing this basically because 10 year wedding anniversary is coming up few weeks going to Cabo. So, you know, I, I just want to have a situation where I lose a few pounds. So my goal was like between five and 10 pounds. I'm down like six. I'm pretty good. I got a couple more weeks, lose like four more pounds, hope, hoping to do that. So this works for me. And, um, so my wife's doing the same thing. We're doing, you know, it's good. 
You know, it's, it's working for me. I can eat beans. That's like the carbohydrate that I can eat. Um, kind of sweet potatoes. I can eat those. Oh, uh, sweet so, potatoes. so those are good, you know, but, uh, it's tough. Like I love my chips and salsa. Uh, that's like my, my death knell. Uh, I could use some fruit right now, but right now no fruit on this. I'm staying pretty strict to it. Although, uh, when I stop it, I usually go to berries cause berries are actually pretty low carb, you know, like blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, they're all actually raspberries. They're all kind of fine. They're actually pretty low, lower than you would think, uh, cause they don't have a lot of residual sugar. So, I mean, it's really reducing the residual sugar and also the, uh, white carbohydrates, which are awful for you. So but those are delicious as well. So I, I made pasta for my kids and I just, Courtney made zucchini noodles and, uh, you know, a reasonable facsimile, but not the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cauliflower mac and cheese. Not, not as bad as you would think it is. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Have you guys ever had it? No. Oh, I've had cauliflower rice. Which That's is okay. But it doesn't new- like if it's in an Asian, like kind of a sauce based dish. Mm hmm. The cauliflower rice doesn't soak up the sauce. Yeah, cauliflower. <laughs> Not my favorite. I went the opposite route. Last night I ordered like four different things from Tavernakaya with my friend and spent like $75 on, on food. Nice. That was like just loaded in sodium and, and carbs. <laughs> and so, that's delicious. Yeah. Sounds so a couple good. of sushi rolls, um, some popcorn chicken, which I didn't realize they served, and then just a bunch of fried rice with bacon in it, which I never even realized bacon was a fried rice option until last night. I don't either. But probably not very healthy. So <laughs> That doesn't sound like the slow carb No, it's diet. like absolutely pedal to the metal fast carb diet right there. Is what <laughs> it's I'm the right exact now. opposite. I'm gaining weight. Clint's losing it. There you go. Speaking of, of, of life hacks, though, I guess, it's kind of, I'm going to pivot the conversation on that. We're in the booth today to talk about the mega backdoor Roth. So, Mitch, Clint, tell us all that you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, this... This could be a hack for some. I think it, it is a hack. It, it, hack, that's an interesting way to put it. But I think probably to start, there's there's a few things we should define first because sometimes people might not have even heard of a backdoor Roth for starters. I think a, a fair amount of our clients probably have. I know we've executed it with a, with a number of my clients. Clint, I imagine you and Nate have done the same. And if if we back up even further, right? So just Roth, right? What is Roth? And essentially Roth is putting money into an account that's already been taxed. So if if you're able to directly contribute to a Roth IRA, for example, you take cash that's sitting in your bank account, you throw it into a Roth IRA, and then it can grow tax-free, assuming you follow all the rules and everything, and you can withdraw it tax-free in retirement, no penalties, and it's it's not taxed. So that's Roth, right? But that's not available to everyone, is no, it, Clint? it's not. You hit no. an income limit. There's and, an income uh, limit. You know, you're, and then let's just say round numbers. You're, you're getting for a, uh, uh, you know, husband and wife uh, situation, it's around 200 grand uh, where it really kind of does not become an option for you. Uh, and and that is modified adjusted gross income. Right. So, so that's not just what you get on your W-2s, right? This is a derivation from your tax return, we'll call it. Correct. Yep. So usually if you're close, we just tell our clients, hey, before you make the contribution, so you don't have to back it out, you know, do your taxes, see if you're eligible for a Roth IRA. If so, make that contribution. And we're big Roth IRA advocates. Uh, But once we get up to the upper echelons of income, say a a family makes $300,000 a year, um, that no longer becomes an option. So we have to be creative in how we contribute to certain accounts. So one of the accounts that we contribute to, if there is no existing IRA balance for a 
husband or wife, they have the ability to, uh, you know, put in a contribution into that IRA and it's a non-deductible IRA contribution. So, you know, say you want to put in $6,000 into that non-deductible IRA, you can do so. Uh, And then we really get no tax benefit. If we just left it purely in that account each year, it would grow tax deferred. And then when you take it out, your gains then would be taxable. But there's a little strategy and loophole in the tax code that has been blessed by the IRS. So we all make it sound like a little weird because it's like backdoor, you know, like you're doing this is something. perfectly legal. It's totally legal. As of this recording. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what, what you can do then is contribute that and convert it to a Roth IRA. And that's why it's key that your balance really be zero in this account or small in this account when we make that conversion. Uh, because, you know, in this, it really won't generate much of a taxable event if we do it right after and you stick it in a money market account and your 6000 grows to $6,002, you pay taxes on that $2 um, of rate of return that you've made in there. And, and you know, you flip that over to a Roth. I've literally had clients where I've done it where we put $6,000 in the account and we kept it in cash for a time, had everything settled before the conversion, but it was credited with a penny of interest. And in that case, literally that penny was the amount that was, was taxable. And, and the thing that Clint, you mentioned it, but it's probably worth mentioning in a little more depth here was what is the balance of your, your other IRAs? Cause if you make this non-deductible IRA contribution of six grand, let's say, or 7,000, if you're, if you're 50 or above, but that's a non-deductible contribution. If you still have money sitting in a rollover IRA that was all tax deferred from a former retirement plan, for example, you can't just isolate that $6,000 non-deductible contribution and say, well, I'm only going to convert that $6,000 into Roth. Now you could from an account perspective, but the IRS does not care. They're going to take a look at, okay, how much tax deferred IRA money do you have? We're going to include that rollover IRA from your old retirement plan, for example. And then there's this pro rata calculation where they say how much is non-deductible, how much was was tax deferred, which was deductible earlier. And you make that $6,000 conversion and you spit out the formula and then it says, okay, well, 80% of that conversion is actually taxable. Mm-hmm. So in order to make it where it truly is tax efficient. A lot of times we'll say, take that IRA money that was tax deferred. You can roll it into an employer sponsored plan, like a 401k, for example, assuming your plan allows that. And then when you do that, that Roth conversion, then in the case, like Clint mentioned, $2, in my case, the penny of interest, right? Then it truly does isolate that amount. And then the, the taxable amount is, is almost negligible. And uh, many financial advisors won't tell that to you. And the reason being is that, you know, there is a situation where they might be able to charge management fees on your IRA, but they might not be able to charge management fees on your 401k due to um, restrictions by their broker dealer or the way that their company does business. And therefore they will never tell you that because they want to keep those IRA assets. But, you know, with us being fiduciaries and um, oftentimes we structure fee schedules to encompass all of their assets, whether it be 401k plans and IRA plans. We don't really care where that money sits. We just want it to be working for you as best as possible. So we'll tell them, hey, send that money back to your 401k. We don't care where the management fee is being feed from. 
you know, it's all encompassing. So therefore this is in your best interest. And so that's an, an example of why you work with a fiduciary and one that's less conflicted than others. Um, in many cases then to free up that money in that IRA makes sense because then you can open that backdoor, uh, you know, ability. And this has nothing to do with what we're discussing right now has nothing to do with 401k plans really at this point. So this is just a traditional, we'll call it backdoor um, Roth IRA contribution. It's an individual sort of contribution that you make and it's not related to any employer plans. But if we start taking it another step further, so say, you know, you've exhausted the ability to save in a Roth IRA, you've exhausted the ability to do any sort of backdoor Roth IRA, you know, you may have the uh, key to unlock the door in a mega backdoor Roth situation. So uh, Mitch, explain a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of conceptually how this works. So the mega piece is like Clint said, a lot more than just the 6,000 per person in the, the backdoor, the traditional backdoor Roth strategy, we'll call it. Now, there are a handful of things that need to happen for you to be able to execute this. So one, you need to have an employer-sponsored plan, 401k, let's say, where you can do after-tax contributions. When I say after-tax, I'm not just talking Roth contributions. So you can put in your traditional 401k contributions, which is going to be tax deferred. You can, some plans at least, and more and more plans, especially nowadays in 2021, allow Roth contributions. Correct. Yeah. And you're limited in this tax year, at least to $19,500 and what you can put in as your contribution into that 401k plan. And that's whether it's, you can do half of that in Roth, half of that in tax deferred or hundred percent in Roth, hundred percent in tax deferred. Right. Either way, 19.5 is what you can put in. After tax is this kind of unknown bucket. A lot of people breeze over, over it. And a lot of times you, you say after tax and they, they immediately go to Roth. No, we're actually talking something different. We're talking after tax contribution. So above and beyond that 19.5 that you can put in annually, you can put in an additional amount into the after tax bucket. And then to, to, kind of speed this up to an extent is you take that after-tax contribution that you put into the 401k, similar to the traditional backdoor Roth strategy, you convert it to, to Roth right away. You are able to take that money, convert it to Roth, and it puts that money into the Roth account within the 401k, which then allows you to have that money grow tax-free towards your retirement goals. Now, some people ask like what the difference between after-tax and Roth. So in this case, it, in your after-tax bucket within the 401k, at some point, you'll take that money out, let's say, and the contributions that you made after-tax are already been taxed, right? So if you're tracking your basis and everything on that, that shouldn't be taxed when you take that out. But any earnings on that would still be taxed. So let's just say if you put $100,000 of after-tax contributions into your 401k plan and over a couple decades it it grew to 150k that original 100k of after-tax contributions when you take it out not taxed the 50k of earnings would be taxed that's the after-tax bucket again very similar to so when you do that kind of uh, the non-deductible non traditional yep. ira so yep. as we indicated before it kind of has the same properties exactly so then the question, well, why put it in Roth? Why put it in Roth? Because all of a sudden, if you convert that to Roth right away and, and 
we'll go into what needs to happen from the plan document perspective and how the plan is designed to make this happen. But getting it into Roth right away is going to be basically a negligible tax event. And then that 50K in my hypothetical example of earnings, that then when it's in the Roth bucket can be taken out tax-free. So that's the big advantage of getting in there. And so, there's a couple different ways that you can do this too. You know, you can do it in a Roth 401k or you can do it in a Roth IRA. And it kind of depends on what the plan allows. And as you kind of alluded to, Mitch, you know, it all comes down to whether or not your 401k allows it in their plan document and who they work with. So uh, we actually had a call uh, with somebody because we were looking at doing this potentially down the road for Walkner Condon. And you know, we had some discussions over how this gets set up logistically. And logistically speaking, um, you have to have a lot of highly compensated employees in your company in order to do this. Because what in a lot of plans, what we'll do to get around this sort of testing is you, you do it what's called a safe harbor, which means that you commit to a contribution no matter what, um, you know, and you have to be subject to this contribution with immediate vesting, meaning that it has to be credited to the to the employees' accounts immediately. So there's some rules around it where you avoid this testing. If you have this strategy, you you automatically go into this bucket where you have to pass this testing in order to have this actually work for you. So, you know, what companies usually do this sort of thing? Well, companies that have a lot of highly compensated employees, such as, say, like a Google or an Amazon or somebody else that has a lot of these technology companies that pay their employees very, very well will be able to test out all right because they have a lot of highly compensated employees and a lot of people are contributing to the 401k plan. So that's good. And, and highly compensated employees, it's defined, right? So I think it's 130,000 yeah, in today's year. There, yeah. So it's actually defined, right? And, and the testing that Clinton is talking about, it's not just like, oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing pretty well. No, it's an actual defined income amount. Exactly. And so if, if they have the ability, if you have the ability to offer this plan, and so, you know, one of the, one of my, I, my clients, you know, just came to us and they said, Hey, I can do one of these. And it's like, awesome. That's, that's great. And, you know, lo and behold, they're related to Silicon Valley, you know? So a lot of these are because think about the employees around there, how much they have to pay them, do the housing, things like that. So to get a big pool of highly compensated employees is actually quite easy. And then you need a um, an administrator of this plan and record keeper that is willing to do these sorts of conversions. So the company that I talked to, they said, yeah, we can do a conversion, but every time we do it, it's like 120 bucks. Like, okay, well then that would limit the amount of time that you would want to have elapse to do these conversions. Maybe you'd only do it once a year. You probably right? don't want to do that every pay period. Probably not. It'd be a big loss, right? So, you know, you gotta, you gotta find out, you know, people that work for bigger companies, uh, there's a better chance that they'll be able to offer this sort of mega backdoor sort of situation, or it would be like a solo entrepreneur where it's either husband or husband and, and wife, um, you know, situation where you have two people um, that can do a solo 401k and you can do some backdoor planning that way as well. Some mega backdoor planning that way um, as well. But once you start bringing on employees like Walkner Khan and I, I, I don't know whether we'd even be eligible. Like we talked to the guy and I was like, Ugh, you know, this, this might not work. So apparently um, I got to pay Dan a lot more and Hannah a lot more. You know, it's just one of those situations where, you know, we just got to just bring them up just big time to make this mega backdoor work, Dan. What do you think? Well, I'll do well, whatever it takes guys. I mean, I'm just here to, <laughs> here to help in any way I can. Do, do you want more $75 to Vernakaya dinners in your future? I do. But see, the problem with that was most of that was the DoorDash fee. 
fifty dollars oh, yeah. was the actual food. I'm like, next time we're twenty five bucks for the twenty five dollar DoorDash fee wow. with the tip. I'm like, I'm just gonna go to to Vernakaya next time and just pick it up myself. So are you using a UW Credit Union like uh, credit card? If you do that, they waive the fee. Did you not know about this? No. Oh, well, yeah. but this is very important. I think we should uh, underline this right for uh, <laughs> Madison area folks. So you want to explain? Yeah, if that you use UW quick. Credit Union credit card, they do. I think it's DoorDash. Uh, they will actually credit your fee during the pandemic right now. So if you any DoorDash fees are wiped out, so that's something to, to note for anybody. Uh, talking about hacks, uh, <laughs> that's a great hack. Great hack. I've used it. It's it's very well. Thank you, UW Credit Union. I think we're just have a podcast upcoming. Not that this one isn't great too, but I think just a, a podcast of of life hacks because that's right up my uh, millennial personality. I, I got some of Avenue. those for sure. Yeah. Dan, I, I took that as you're already checked out of this. No, topic no, absolutely not. I actually was thinking a, about, okay, what can we do better? <laughs> I have a, a ton of questions over here, but you guys are doing such a good job of answering your own questions as they come up that I just sit back, relax and try to wrap my, my mind around it. But I think the one thing that I wanted to bring up is, I mean, obviously this wouldn't be a standalone event in someone's financial planning. Obviously this is just part of a larger plan. Correct, Mitch? Can be, yeah, but there also could be years where it makes more sense in some years rather than others. And for people that have fluctuating incomes, for example, and if if one tax year is different than another or something, you know, there's many factors that could could go into it. But <clears throat> let's say that someone gets a huge bonus or something in one year that they're kind of like, well, you know. What else can I be doing with this, right? That could be a scenario where, okay, let's see how we can utilize something like after-tax contributions in that year, you know, because they they might not need that that big bonus to ultimately be used towards other things, right? They could just direct a huge chunk of that just towards the after-tax contributions, live off the base salary as planned, and it was almost like a nice to have, so to speak, and then you can use some of these tax efficient vehicles available to you. And, you know, something like that could be a great opportunity for <clears throat> the mega backdoor Roth. Yeah. That, or if you get an, a big inheritance, something like that, where you want to kind yeah. of, you get a big taxable account yep. um, and you want to kind of you could almost draw from that, that money, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You draw that to live on and then you payroll deduct this. Cause that's the, the flaw of these sorts of plans or the thing that you have, the hurdle that you have in them is that they have to be payroll deducted. So we have to earn enough salary to be able to stock these things full um, you know, and, and the other thing to note is that you do have a limitation to how much you do this. So if you're into half million dollars a year, you can't just stuff $300,000 of salary in this year, you're limited. And the, the limit this year is it's a total contribution amount. So that total contribution limit for, let's just say if you're under 50, um, is 58,000, you get a little bit more if you're over 50, but 58,000 is the total contribution limit. So this is your contribution that you make. So that personal contribution of 19,500. And, you know, if you're, if you're earning a ton of money, I mean, you're probably going to look at that doing it on the pre-tax side, right? Because we don't have that many places to save. People are always coming to me and being like, what can I do? I, 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 you know, how can I shelter more money? And you're like, there, there comes a point where you kind of have to just bite the bullet and you're paying your taxes. So we try to do our best and talk to people about HSAs and, you know, about FSAs and things like that, that we can do to limit that income. But, you know, at some point you just don't have that sort of flexibility. So to go back to that, 58,000 is your maximum. You save 19.5. You add on top of that the employer match. Mm -hmm. So whatever that is. Um, and then you have the remainder of that as your, your after-tax contribution amount that you could do up to that limit of 58,000. We add those things together. Right. Right. So that 58 K is annual additions is, is how it was phrased in CFP world back when I was 
going through that whole rigmarole. How much do you remember to that? All of it. <laughs> Not true. You actually don't get a score from your test. You just get pass or fail. So I don't even know how good I did. I felt pretty good about it. but I, I think that's the best thing for people to never get a score. Yeah. Why? Pass, fail. Some people are going to like self-guess themselves and they're actually going to study afterwards. You're like, no. The second that you ended that, I was like, done. I don't want you ever to look at that book again. Yeah. It's perfect. Anu- annual editions. Because like to the employer contribution piece, right? You said you put in the 19.5, then you can go up to 58K with after tax and also employer contributions. Because employers can contribute in many different ways, mm-hmm. right? They can contribute in the match. If it's a safe harbor, let's say there's just a 4% match, done. 4% going in from the employer. But then there's, if the plan is actually not part of a safe harbor and it's doing these testing and then the testing is there to make sure that the plan isn't too advantageous for all the highly compensated and key employees and the executives. It, it also needs to be advantageous for the rank and file employees, as we say. So that's why the testing exists. And if you're not part of a safe Harbor, the employer might have to, when they're doing their testing year end, the, the administrator might come back and say, well, actually to pass this test, you need to make a non-elective contribution of X amount of dollars or whatever it might be. Right. So those also are included towards that $58,000 additions to the account. Or so, if you want to do a funky vesting schedule, mm-hmm. like yep. I'm all for like a 10 year vesting schedule in the 401k, you know, just cliff, just 0% every year until you put well, you 10 can't years do that. here in a Walkner Condon and then you get 100% of your contributions. I don't think that's legal. No, I don't think it is either. I think it's because uh, for defined contribution plans, which is... Uh, it's no more than five years, right? The year five years. Year, yeah, yeah. Five year cliff. Five year cliff. Because the then uh, defined benefit, aka pension, is three to seven. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can do seven year vesting schedule potentially on a mm, pension. I like this. Yeah. Let's move that way. You need to extend my timeline here. <laughs> But anyway, do a lot anyways, of podcasts. So so uh, so far we've we've covered backdoor Roth, right? Got into mega backdoor Roth, and just a little recap on so what needs to happen for the mega backdoor Roth. One high income, right? You need to be able to have the income to be able to put in and stuff <laughs> is for lack of a technical word, stuff the four hundred one k as full as you you can, and the plan has to allow it. Just because the IRS allows something doesn't necessarily mean that your company's plan allows it. So you need to check, do I have after-tax contributions in my plan? Am I able to do in-plan conversions in the plan itself? Or can you do in-service distribution, which is kind of another little subtle way of doing this, right? If, if it's a more complicated way of doing this mega back to raw strategy, you can do an in-service distribution and then roll it back. You can actually roll it back into the plan. So the plan would have to accept incoming rollovers too. So in-service distribution, from after-tax into a Roth IRA external from the 401k plan, let's say, and then roll it back in if you wanted to into the, the 401k plan. So that's one way of, of doing it. But places like Fidelity, for example, are great because if your plan allows all these things, Fidelity says, hey, we can do the, the after-tax contribution. And then if you enroll in this wonderful service that, that Fidelity has, they will convert it to Roth automatically. So then you don't have to do the 120 bucks. I think that you mentioned in that example, Clint, that you helped a client through. So you don't have to worry about the fee in that case. It's, it's no cost. It happens automatically and it happens on a per pay period basis. And will this be closed someday? Maybe, but right now you're able to do it. And it's basically a way that 
high income earners can get a lot of money into the Roth bucket and grow tax free. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge is having a plan that allows you to do it. Right. I mean, there's yeah. just not that many plans out there, but the plans that do, uh, and you need to look at it and potentially take advantage of this. Uh, I think the main thing is that a lot of plans will offer after tax contributions. So don't get too excited when you see that you've got to just find out whether or not the mega backdoor Roth is a feasible strategy because in many cases, socking a bunch of money ways after tax might not be the most advantageous situation for yourself. But if you have the key to unlock the mega backdoor, uh, you know, door, then we're good. Like that's the thing that you want to look at. So, um, you know, definitely contact your HR administrator, find out or send us your plan document. We're happy to take a look at it and uh, be able to at least get you some educated questions to get back to some of your other staff members to find out how logistically this happens. Cause you're also not going to fill out, uh, you know, the forms every single time that you have a pay period to do this. So hopefully if you do have it in your plan, it's uh, relatively straightforward and easy. So uh, thank you very much for your time today on give me some truth. And we look forward to uh, speaking with you in future episodes. Walkner Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walkner Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific security investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.